Are you striving to be good enough for the job, the role, the dream, or the calling? You can end your tireless pursuit of perfection. God doesn't require it. I'm about to reveal why you have permission to be imperfect. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the app Shut Up Devil. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience where I teach and we take prayer requests as well. So I'd be honored if you join me live sometime. So tell Siri, Alexa, Google Assistant, whoever you use to remind you to go to kylewinkler.org live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central. Okay, maybe five years ago or so, I was in a theater movie theater, watching one of the latest movies depicting Jesus's crucifixion. And right from the beginning of the movie, there was this constant crackle through the speakers. Super annoying. And so it didn't take long before I thought, I have to say something. At least maybe get my money back or something. So I leapt out of my seat determine I'm going to tell a manager. But I didn't get hardly to the end of the row. And this thought, words popped into my mind. I heard, my story is always told through imperfect speakers. Let's just say that any determination to tell a manager was instantly gone when I heard that. And I went back to my seat chewing on those words, probably more than the movie itself. My story is always told through imperfect speakers. You know, since then, that phrase has come back to me time and time again, especially in moments when I'm caught up in thinking that this or that in my life disqualifies me from something usually ministry-related. And there have been plenty of those moments, (laughs) trust me. And I'm not talking about only mistakes. But I'm talking about those situations or qualities that have nothing to do with anything that I've done. If I could listen to a replay of my life's prayers, I would hear a lot of these kind of wonderings that sound like, how can I, Lord, when I don't have the money? How can I, Lord, when I don't have the abilities? How can I, God, when I don't have the connections or the talents or the whatever? In other words, how can I, Lord, when I'm not good enough or perfect enough? Oh, but for years I tried to be. I thought that's what God wanted of me. I thought that the Christian life was the pursuit to become perfect like Jesus. So I did my best to try to achieve perfection in my behaviors and my emotions and in my thinking and Just in every way. The problem is, all my effort only made things worse. Because perfection, at least in your thoughts and behaviors, talking about the flesh, that's impossible. Even though it sounds so holy. And the devil knows it. Which is why he dangles it. Like a carrot before you that keeps you running after it, forever chasing This impossible goal, 
so that you focus so much on what you can do and your own strength and your own willpower that when your humanity kicks in for even a second and you can't do it, or you fall or you fail, then you fear you've lost your place in the kingdom and now you've got to re-earn God's love and his trust. And I mean, that was, that was me, which many of you are reading about now in my book, Shut Up Devil. Now, I understand that Jesus in Matthew 5.48 said, But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Maybe some of you are thinking, Yeah, Kyle, how do you explain that? Jesus is saying we got to be perfect. Well, it's really explained easily in a few ways. First, once again, context is key. Jesus' words here are part of his Sermon on the Mount. He was speaking to his disciples and other Jewish people who had gathered to hear him. And much of his sermon is him challenging the self-righteous ways of the Jewish people listening to him. By the middle of the sermon, in Matthew 5.43, he says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I've taught on this before. It's part of my lovable series. But here, Jesus says, loving people who are different from you is how you show yourself to be a true child of God. He actually goes on to say that in verse 45. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And that was a huge message for these people who thought their standing with God was all hinged on them doing or not doing certain things, like not speaking to Samaritans or not being in the company of lepers, based it all on law. So Jesus goes on from there talking about the importance of loving everyone. Verse 47, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Again, he's kind of causing them to be introspective and think, hmm, Maybe I'm not as righteous in my ways as I think I am. That's when he gets to verse 48. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You have to understand, Jesus didn't go from undermining their reliance on their behaviors to then telling them to focus all the more on behaviors. Now first, the word for perfect here is teleos. This means mature. It means the end of something. It's completion. It's based on the same word as his it is finished declaration. You know, the last thing he said on the cross. And that meant mission accomplished. So here, Jesus tells these Jewish people that the ultimate maturity, the greatest goal if you're going to run after anything, is to love people like God does. And even then, you're not going to be able to do it, but that's the thing to pursue if you're going to pursue anything, is what he's saying. Oh man, does the devil have a lot of us Christians so hoodwinked. We get so focused on being perfect based on what we eat or don't eat or drink or don't drink or how often we fast or how much we pray or what we boycott that we're missing the whole point. And actually, it causes us to be the complete opposite of what Jesus was getting at. Because in trying so hard to be perfect, a lot of us 
get caught up in judging other people's perfections. And I'm pointing at me because I was one of them. I've told you how for years I thought I was part of the holiness police. I was judging myself, really, and therefore judging everybody else. I didn't have hardly an ounce of God's love for other people because I couldn't hardly accept it for me. Mostly because I felt I wasn't perfect enough to have it. I'll summarize this up here, and then we'll move on. In saying, be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect, Jesus essentially says, your greatest goal is to mature into the heart of God, which is to love people. People that are different from you. You know, some people get mad at me for saying things like this. Can you believe that? One person recently on Instagram almost blew a gasket. They said, stop commonizing God. He is holy and we are to be holy. And to that I say, yes, absolutely. As I taught in my message a month or so ago on the secret to being holy. Holy is what God calls us to be. It's what he made us to be. But if you think your holiness is achieved by dressing like you've come off a covered wagon, then you're missing the point. Holiness means to be uncommon. It means to be unlike others. Well, perhaps the most uncommon thing about God is his unconditional love. Certainly it's not judgment or anger. I mean, we all have no problem with that. We do have a problem with unconditional love, though. You'll find that most of the calls to holiness or perfection in the New Testament are always surrounded by verses that talk about God's love. Again, our love for people is where any kind of holiness is most demonstrated. Anyway, I spent longer on that than I intended to, but it's a hurdle that I think we need to get over. So I hope you got something out of that. But the second reason why being perfect isn't about having no weaknesses, flaws, or failures is because Jesus came. Um, what do you mean by that, Kyle? <laughs> I hear some of you asking. Didn't Jesus come to demonstrate that it's possible to live perfect? To live without even committing a sin? No. Jesus didn't come to set the bar for how to live. He came to live up to the bar because he knew we couldn't. That's the gospel. If behavioral or situational perfection was possible, Jesus wouldn't have had to be the final sacrifice. I mean, it really is as simple as that. Yet that notion seems to confound the wise because it just seems too simple or maybe too good to be true. Hear this. God knew you couldn't be perfect, and that's why Jesus came. But if you don't know that, then you will spend your time, talent, and treasure trying to prove something that Jesus already proved, or do something that Jesus already did, or be something that Jesus already made you. And that will drive you crazy, because your effort can never be enough, which is why Jesus says to find completion in Him. That's why peace is in Him, because He is enough. You don't have to keep chasing that dangling carrot. You can just rest in His completion. God's story is always told through imperfect speakers, because that's all He's got. 
But even more, he made a way so that our imperfections don't disqualify us, so that they aren't counted against us. I've cited this verse a lot lately, but we have to keep it front and center in our minds because it is the heart of the gospel. If you want to talk about shutting up the devil, then this verse does it. I mean, it shuts down the accusations and the condemnations and the threats and the lies. 2 Corinthians 5.19 For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. You could even say no longer counting people's imperfections against them. It goes on to say, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. This is the message that the angels sang about during the announcement of Jesus' birth. You know, when they said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace between God and men. In other words, Jesus came to ensure that nothing stands in the way of God in us. That's peace with God. That's reconciliation with God. This is the message John the Baptist boasted of when he saw Jesus. In John 1.29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Change out sin for imperfection, inadequacies, faults, failures, flaws. I mean, because that's all what it represents, anything that's not God's best. And what John is saying is, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away our imperfections. Behold, Jesus whose death on the cross made it so that your imperfections, real as they might be, no longer stand between you and God, no longer mean anything about you, no longer mean that you are disqualified. What Jesus did, what God's grace provided, is permission to be human. It's permission to be a work in progress. It's permission to be imperfect. I mean, all throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, isn't God often characterized by how he uses even especially famously flawed people? People flawed both in their own choices and according to the customs of their culture? Don't we see it demonstrated all throughout Scripture that God does not make decisions in the same way humans do? As he was choosing David to be king, God chose the youngest of the family, the smallest in the family, which went against the culture of the time. The youngest in those days didn't get anything. Yet in choosing him, God revealed people judged by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He chose Abraham from a family of idol worshipers to be the father of the faith. Rahab a former prostitute, to fill an important spot in Jesus' lineage. Gideon's one of my favorite stories. He was the self-proclaimed weakest man in his tribe, and God came to him when he was in hiding, afraid of the enemies. And in that place, God called him to deliver his people from the enemies. And those are Old Testament examples. Back when God's true nature wasn't completely revealed, how much more do you think God uses imperfect people today now that Jesus has rendered our imperfections as meaningless to God? Maybe that's why Jesus chose a group of outcasts to turn the world upside down. Matthew was a tax collector, considered a traitor to his own people. Timothy, Paul's protege, 
He was the product of a mixed marriage, a huge no-no back then, yet he helped Paul establish the church. And do we even want to talk about Paul? I mean, do we have to talk about Paul? I mean, maybe he's one of the most obvious. Persecutor of Christians? Nobody would have chosen Paul. Not to be Christianity's lead evangelist. And the disciples didn't. In replacing Judas, you know, after Judas betrayed Jesus and then went and hung himself, there was an empty spot in the twelve. They needed to replace his part. So the disciples vetted the replacement disciple and ordained a man named Matthias, which after his selection, we never hear about again. I think they were looking for just the right fit. Maybe the right man to fit the church growth business plan. When instead, God already chose someone. But it was someone who he knew they'd never choose themselves. So God had to do the choosing. God had to do the qualifying. God had to do the establishing of Paul himself. And he did. In many supernatural ways. And you know, God does this all the time still today. People aren't going to have you, and you know you're called for that position, don't you give up because God's going to put you there. If God's promised it, if God showed it to you, you don't need people, He's going to establish you. And I'm just going to be really vulnerable here. And I don't say this to provoke any kind of emotion out of you guys, okay? Just hear me. There have been times in ministry when I didn't feel like I was a good representation of the places I came from. You know what I mean by that? Let me explain this a little better, maybe. You know, when you come to know the Lord at a younger age, you grow up in churches and in groups. Well, when you step out into ministry, and certainly if you have any kind of notoriety, those churches and groups that you came from tend to take a bit of pride in the fact that they were part of your history. That you came from them. At least most of them do. Maybe not all of them. But in a way, you kind of represent those groups as you're going out. So do you understand what I'm saying here? There have been times I have thought, God, there would have been a better person for you to choose from all the people in that group or all the people in that church than me. Somebody who would have fit the mold better than me. You know, maybe somebody more extroverted. Because I'm an introvert. I talk like this, but behind the scenes, this talking wears me out. I like my alone time. So I thought, you know, maybe, maybe an extrovert would better represent where I came from. Better represent the people I was a part of. Maybe someone with a wife and kids would have more of the standard life that they'd have been looking for. Maybe someone that came from a family of preachers. You know, so they have this lineage to be established with already. In other words, maybe someone with less imperfections than me. Now, God has answered my questions about why he chooses especially imperfect people, and I'm going to share a few of those with you in a few minutes, because they're going to speak to you too. But like I said, I didn't say any of that to evoke any kind of response or emotion from you, except that I think some of you 
are battling discounting thoughts about yourself. You're almost apologetic because you think there's a better person for the job. You think God should have chosen a less flawed person to be the parent to your children. Or maybe you think God should have chosen a less flawed person to be the child to your parents. Or maybe you have discounted yourself from the job or the role or the life or the dream from ever having it. Because you think, why would God waste his grace on someone like me? Well, I'm here today to tell you that it's precisely because of his grace that he will use and choose someone like you. Hear me. Your qualification to be used by God or even to be part of his family, to be loved by him, whatever, is not based upon how you look. It's not based upon the right family history. It's not based upon an impeccable past. It's not based upon your strength. It's not based upon the right circumstances. It's not based upon what you think is imperfect or unusable or unlovable or unanything about you. You are chosen by grace, qualified by grace, established by grace, and empowered by grace. And just so nobody counts themselves out, yes, I'm talking to you. You with the past of pain and promiscuity. You who feel as if your parents never really wanted you. You who struggle with disabilities and differences that make you question if you belong, that make you feel as if you're someone who is wrong. You who have been told all your life that you don't have what it takes to succeed. I'm telling you, God chooses you. God uses you. Now, some of you are still asking like I was. Why would God do that? Well, why wouldn't he do that? If what the angels announced is true, if what John the Baptist proclaimed is true, if what Jesus came to do was really effective, then your imperfections aren't counted against you. They don't stand against you. They mean nothing about you. So why wouldn't God use you? As a believer, in God's sight, you are made as right and complete as the person who didn't have that traumatic past, as the person who doesn't have those symptoms, as the person who grew up with the loving family, or who has the picture-perfect family. In Christ, we all stand on level ground. But here's the thing. If you really can get over the shame of your imperfections, and that's part of what I hope this message helps you do, I know it's a process, but if you can really get over the string or the sting, rather, of your weaknesses. God will use them in a really powerful way. He will actually turn them into your unfair advantage. I'm serious. What you think counts you out is what God will use to count you in. For one, you can actually be more impactful having an imperfection than not having one. Because first, a lot of what we think are imperfections are actually part of God's design. We just don't like them because they cause us grief. My personality, my introverted personality, a lot of you heard my stories, held me back in a lot of ways, caused me a lot of rejection. Yet I've come to learn that being an introvert is God's design for my life. So just because it did cause me some pain for many years, 
doesn't make it an imperfection. So a lot of us are upset about something about us that really is God's design. But secondly, even those that aren't necessarily his design, maybe that are the results of a fallen world or whatever, he will redeem into something that accomplishes his plan. I think of a friend of mine who has always battled with a high dose of ADHD, so much so that he's on the highest dose of medication for it. Now he's a school teacher and even drugged up. He's still not the best at making or following lesson plans. But you know what? What he thinks is an imperfection in him makes him a very unique and creative teacher that the kids absolutely love. So much, in fact, that they named him a teacher of the year for his school district out of many schools. I'm telling you, anyone who does anything that really makes a difference usually does it by leaning into what they once thought was an imperfection and letting God's grace work through it. Certainly, if you really want to be as Jesus said and be perfect or mature as God is, which if you remember what I said in the beginning of this message, is all about loving people like he does. But I found there's really no better way than to lean into your imperfections. I talk more about this in the book, Shut Up Devil, but this did wonders for my ministry. Once I was finally healed of the shame of my so-called imperfections and the messy parts of my story, I started to extend God's grace for the mess of others. I surrendered my holiness police badge, stopped trying to fix people with a bunch of do's and don'ts, and just started to listen and understand and love as best as I could. And I'm not perfect in it, trust me. And you won't be either, so don't turn this into some sort of law that condemns you for not meeting an impossible standard either. But loving people, as Jesus said, sure is probably the best goal that you can have. But I've just found it easier to forgive when I know of what I've been forgiven when I've taken a good, long, hard look at my own imperfections, then the imperfections of others, no matter how much I don't understand them at times, don't bother me as much. I also have significantly deeper insight that brings life instead of legalism to my teaching and counseling. People are healed a lot better that way. They're listening. Embracing the permission to be imperfect, again, without the shame, has made my ministry far more effective than when I was all about just trying to be perfect or making other people perfect. And finally, allowing people to see God work through your imperfections is maybe the greatest way to demonstrate His goodness and His power. And who doesn't want to do that, right? Some years ago, I was questioning the Lord over Paul's statement of how he prefers to boast in his weaknesses. Back then, I was still in the mindset that it's always God's will to perfect our flesh and give us 180-degree change. And sometimes he does that, yeah. But God said something to me that really provided a whole new perspective, a shift, healing for me too. It came an underlying theme of how I minister. He said, my grace and weakness is equally as miraculous as removal of the weakness. I said, why, Lord? How can that be? 
I felt him respond. Because grace is the miracle of my presence, upholding human frailty with a strength to press through what the enemy meant to subdue. Chew on that one for a while. Often the most impactful thing for people to see or hear are the stories of those who remain faithful to God amid difficulties that don't go away, who have to rely on grace. Not some quick fix. I'm thinking of people such as Gideon or Moses, who persevered in weakness and who demonstrated hope to other imperfect people. People who show us that their issues do not have to define them, limit them, or defeat them. To me, that's a message far more encouraging and relatable than only stories of obstacles that are removed suddenly. Or people, as I said, that are instantly fixed, whatever that means. You have permission to be human. You have permission to be a work in progress. You have permission to be imperfect because God isn't surprised by your two steps forward, one step back journey, or even your two steps forward, three or four steps back. He knew what he was getting when he brought you into existence. And if you've said yes to Jesus, whatever you think isn't right about you doesn't change God's mind about you. Oh, the devil will always try to tell you it does. That's all he can do. Since he can't change God's mind about you, he works to try to change your mind about you. That's the bulk of most of our battles. That's what the book's about. And so he's going to continue to use your imperfections to do it, your weaknesses, your inadequacies, because that's all he has. But what you need to know, and what you need to use to shut him up when he does, is the truth that because of grace, the current version of you is qualified for whatever God brings you to, for whatever God calls you to, for whatever God asks of you, for whatever God has for you. Now, I know that getting to the place where you aren't ashamed of your imperfections is a journey. I pray this message kick-started that for you. But it's going to take a real renewal of your mind to get out of those old patterns of thinking and feeling. That's why I wrote this book, Shut Up Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. Through this book, I guide you to recognize and uproot the lies and toxic thoughts that are behind the fear and the insecurity and the shame and the mind games that you face. And I give you the truth to replace it with so that by the end of the book, you are in the place I spoke about today. The place where the enemy can no longer use your weaknesses, struggles, or imperfections to beat you down or hold you back. Don't let your healing or deliverance wait another day. Join me on this healing journey. You can get your signed copy of Shut Up Devil on my website at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil or on paperback, ebook, or audiobook on Amazon or wherever books are sold. That does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Of course, I'd love to have you join me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org slash live. And don't forget, 
whether you're watching or listening, wherever, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.